When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Thanks for listening to the latest Football Digest podcast available on all podcast platforms. Subscribe now through Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Acast, or wherever you get your podcasts from so you don't miss a single episode. Hello and welcome to the Football Digest podcast. I'm your host, Connor Bromley. I'm joined today by Tom and Darren, and we are going to talk all things Premier League this weekend. And there's only one place to start, Darren, and that's Mikel Arteta, the VAR rant. <laughs> I suppose that the first thing would be, what was your reaction to his rant? Were you expecting it? And does he have a point? Um, I mean, I think we were all expecting it. It was, you know, it was difficult for Arsenal to take the uh, the Newcastle goal. I did think it was a bit of a massive exaggeration from Mikel Arteta. I think he had his Arsenal blinkers on. Um, but I think he was looking at the goal and thinking the ball was out of play. There was a foul and it was offside. But I think if you actually broke it down, I don't think it was conclusive that the ball had gone out of play. I think the foul probably was a foul, but I think it was a difficult one for the ref to give either way. And the offside, again, I think was inconclusive. Um, obviously, you can appreciate why he would be upset given that, uh, you know, it went again against Arsenal on the day. But if the goal, you know, had been chalked off, I think Newcastle fans would be just as upset now. So for him to kind of label it a disgrace, I think was a bit much. Tom, do you think maybe he was sort of using the Fergie tactic of deflecting from maybe a not a great performance by putting the blame somewhere else? Um, yeah, I guess it was it was the second time in a week that Arsenal hadn't really been at it after after West Ham the Carabao Cup, and you know Gussell did a great job of of neutralising them, um, stopping any real threat. Arsenal obviously very clearly are missing Cabo Jesus at the moment. Um, so yeah, I don't know if that, if that was in his mind um, when making those comments, or whether you know he's just frustrating himself by by the results as much as the performances and. Uh, you know, I, I, I agree with Darren there that, you know, you've got to take a step back, look individually at the elements of the goal and none of them are, you know, 100% one way or the other. And yeah, I mean, I think the best response from Arteta now is, you know, get a win in midweek and then the focus turns away from what he said. Or we still hope that is the case. Do you think, Darren, that the sort of... <laughs> It felt to me like he was complaining as much about, you know, the, the technology in the sense of why don't they have the technology to see if the ball is in and out of play? That feels like something that you would probably have. Why isn't there a camera on the line? But then I also thought 
it's very rare that this actually happens. It's very rare that it's so inconclusive that a ball is in or out of play on the touchline. Like it, it feels like this is something you maybe see once or twice a season. It really isn't that common. But do you think his frustration is the fact that they didn't have the technology to see if the ball was definitively in or out of play? Possibly. Um, I think, as you say, it's so rare for these decisions and, you know, we could we could have technology going along the whole goal line, but what happens if it's sent on a throw-in? Are we going to get cameras along every line across, you know, the whole pitch? You know, there's that image doing the rounds on social media that looks like the ball's out, but if it was a bird's eye view, it might still be in. So, you know, where do you draw the line with the technology? And even even that, we've had so many issues with the officials that are using the technology. Um, it would probably just create more problems. So, I mean, I can understand his frustration, but... At the same time, we never used to have technology at all. So you just got to kind of sometimes just hold your hands up and say, okay, well, the refs made that decision. We've got to live with it. What did you make, Tom, of the club statement that came out yesterday? Because it felt weird. I would say it just felt weird that they came out and sort of doubled down on Mikel Arteta's press conference. What did you make of it? Um, I, I get, you know, the desire of a team to... To stand by the manager, I guess that that is the element with with Arteta. You know, manager's word is final, and it'd be interesting to see the kind of conversations that went in, went around behind the scenes there in terms of you know how do we uh, how do we show support? You can't really go out and go, I know, like he, he's talking nonsense. We don't agree with him. That's that's just not how it works, really. But um, I did find it interesting, kind of comparing the the Arsenal statement to how Liverpool responded to the Spurs game and the controversy there, and you know, people people are obviously making the comparisons, but you know Liverpool are reacting to what is an error in a black and white situation, um, something that has been apologised for correctly, and you know steps have been taken to make sure it doesn't happen again. Arsenal were kind of, I mean, from the outside it looks like they're kind of taking the same tack on a subjective decision from the officials, um, and you know there's there is a sense, you know, if you're doing that for any contentious call against yourself, then where does it stop? What is what is their end game with this? And yeah, just I'm a little confused as to what they expect to get out of making a statement like that. Do you think maybe we're all a little bit guilty of I don't know exasperating the VR VAR issues, Darren? Because it feels to me like it's become so much. It's just every game at the minute. It feels like VAR is coming up as a topic of conversation. I think this one at the weekend in particular, I can see Arsenal's frustration. I get it. Like I thought that it probably was a foul on uh, Gabriel. You know, I, I probably thought they were unlucky there to, to for that goal to have counted. But I also think now clubs and managers are just throwing out this VAR line, you know, pretty much solidly if they don't get something that's ever so slightly contentious and as we've said here it's the subjective decisions and clear and obvious is what we asked for you know that that's the thing we've all been complaining about is the overturning things that are maybe not clear and obvious errors this to me wasn't necessarily a clear and obvious error and you still have managers going out and, and really lambasting the VR. and you know you've also got to think about you know, the mental health of these referees as well. You know, that's something that kind of just gets ignored. But the fact of the matter is, is this referee has been, and the VAR and all the people involved are getting kind of dragged through the mud and Howard Webb and, and his team are having to keep this team, his team of officials together. And, and I don't think there's necessarily consideration for that when managers come out and are so brazen in their criticism. 
Yeah, I mean, the officials are under so much pressure now that it must just be getting even harder for them every week. And I think where we're able to now bring the game back, it's as if every, you know, fans, managers want every decision to be 100% right. And I just don't think that's ever going to happen. You know, there's, as you said, there's so many of these decisions are subjective. You know, the English game used to be so physical with, you know, tackles flying in from all angles. And now, you know, we want a free kick or a penalty for every little minor push, every little shirt pull. I think sometimes you just got to let things play and, you know, relying on the VAR all the time is not going to be helpful. Having said that, I do think that the use of VAR this season by the officials has been poor. Um, but, you know, bringing out the, you know, the excuses from the managers every week is not going to help, you know, that progress in any way. But I think something needs to be sorted on it definitely quickly. Well, we'll talk about Gary O'Neill and Wolves Sheffield United later, which is a, a different ball game altogether when it comes to VAR. Um, We'll switch though quickly now, Tom, a little bit on Newcastle. That was a huge win for them. Are we potentially looking at them as, I don't want to say title content, mainly because I'm a Sunderland fan, I don't want to say title contenders, but um, are, are they potentially a team that could surprise a few? They, they just seem to grind out results. The amount of injuries they've got at the minute and they're still picking up huge wins. And even if that game was a draw at the weekend, I still think they come out with a lot of credit because they stifled Arsenal the way that a lot of teams, in fact, I would say probably every team in the Premier League struggle to do. Yeah, I think we were probably saying similar last season when, um, I think it was in January, when Newcastle got a nil-nil against Arsenal and, you know, shut out a team that had been very difficult to shut out throughout the campaign. And as you say, the fact they're doing this without Sandra Tonali, without Sven Botman, um, other players, Isaac wasn't uh, wasn't involved against Arsenal. The fact that they're doing that and they have that depth running throughout their score, I think that's what's changed from last season. Um, and yeah, I mean, you look you look at, I know it's you know it's been said to death, but you look at the squad that Eddie Howe inherited. You look at you know some of these players are were not performing under under Steve Bruce, and all the changes they've got a different manager, they've got some better players around them, and I think. The fact that they've done that and kind of, you know, got Champions League qualification without, you know, massive overhaul of the squad, you definitely have to take them seriously. Whether they can do it consistently throughout the season, that's always going to be the big question. I think, you know, come the turn of the year, whether it's going to depend on whether it's in the Champions League, whether they still got all those extra matches. And they did kind of have a bit of a blip last season, kind of just before the, the Carabao Cup final. It's whether. They've learned from that whether, you know, the players can produce that sort of August through May again. So far they've shown it, but it is still, you know, early days in the season. It just feels at the minute St. James's Park, they just don't lose. I know Liverpool won there early in the season, but they they just look formidable at St. James's Park. And the other thing is Fabian Shaw. I mean, you talk about players that Eddie Howe inherited. He is a, a classy operator at centre-back. And it's, you know, he, he's been, I think, the the player that epitomises the the growth of Eddie Howe as a coach in Newcastle, as a growth of uh, as a team. <laughs> We'll switch now though. Luton against Liverpool. Tom, it was a, a big draw, I would say, for, for Luton Town more so than Liverpool, even though I think the circumstances for Liverpool, they'll be happy getting the, the late equaliser. From my watch, it was probably a, a fair result. Obviously, Liverpool did dominate the game and, and had the better chances, but I think Liverpool, uh, Luton 
stuck in pretty well. Uh, what was your verdict? Do you think it was a fair or do you think Liverpool can feel a little bit harsh to have not got all three points? I think, you know, you, you might look at it compared to some of the other games. So Liverpool have had challenges against lower Premier League sides. The, the Bournemouth one last season, I guess, is is the one that springs to mind there. But I think it is a different story if, if Darwin Nunez puts away that, that chance of close range. Liverpool, greatly enough, they, um, you know, another day they're going to put away one of those chances to go 1-0 up and you do wonder whether Luton had the goods to actually fight back after conceding first in that game. And that's not to take away from the, you know, the gap between the squads and the kind of the makeup of the players is huge. And, and Luton have already sort of shown significant growth since the first couple of weeks of the season. Um, I I do wonder if like, you know, should Liverpool be too worried about the performance? I think they, they created plenty. They did enough going forward. It was just one or two of the bigger chances weren't converted and Luton did well to to respond to that. And, you know, maybe from the last 20 minutes of the game, that was that was a fair outcome. But over the full 90, I think Liverpool were still stronger. They shouldn't be too concerned about it. Darren, what was your verdict on the game? Um, you know, Tom probably sides with me there a little bit. Liverpool probably did deserve to win it overall, but Luton showed a lot of grit and determination. And they're the, you know, we talked about Kenilworth Road, you know, and, and that's going to be the difference maker for Luton. And to be fair, their actual home form this season hasn't been the best. They've, they've picked up points more so on the road than they have at home. But it felt to me like maybe the the, the stadium and the, and the feeling around the game helped Luton to pick up a, an unexpected point. Yeah, for sure. No, I think it was a fair result uh, overall. You know, Liverpool did dominate, but as Tom mentions there, they didn't finish their chances, so probably didn't deserve to take all three points. But, you know, you got the sense that at some point this season, Luton were going to take some points off of one of the big boys at Kenilworth Road. And when Chong got his goal last night, he looked as though, you know, it was going to be Liverpool who were going to fall behind. And I think that will probably give them confidence now to go on and hopefully, in their case, you know, get some more results there. Um, you know, Kenilworth Road is probably not the, the nicest place for teams to go, um, particularly on like a, you know, a, a Sunday night game or a Monday night game. You know, the big teams will not like going there at all. And Luton showed last night that they're capable of, you know, holding the big teams at bay and threatening on the counter-attack. So they'll, they'll be, you know, infused by yesterday's result, even if they will be a little bit gutted, they couldn't hold on. And do you think, Darren, you know, we looked at, Man City, I think, is the, the the standard bearer of the league, and Liverpool, I think, had probably ambitions to win. To quietly had ambitions that they could win the title this season, especially being in the Europa League and not having the intensity of Champions League football. But do you think results like this kind of show the difference there? Because Man City just seem to. I know they've had maybe a couple of dodgy results this season, but they just have such a high standard that. If you're a team that is chasing them, you just can't afford to drop points against teams who are going to be at the bottom of the league. And I just looked at that yesterday and just thought, you know, for Liverpool's sake, it's a shame they couldn't get the win because it feels like you have to be near perfect if you're going to topple Man City in the title race. Yeah, I mean, for sure, Man City are the team that everyone's chasing and they're the team that, you know, whoever beats them is going to win the league this season. Um, but I, I kind of agree with Tom. I wouldn't take too much from the one performance, you know, as we, as Tom alluded to, if Nunes finishes one of those chances, we wouldn't be sat in hour, we'd be sitting here saying, you know, can Liverpool go on and win the title for after grinding out a win against Luton? I think the way that they shows, um, you know, a fight to come back in the game so late, you know, it was relieved, you know, when Luis Diaz got that goal, it was kind of a nice moment for, 
everyone, bar Luton fans, especially for him. Um, but, you know, I think Liverpool will be up there this season. They've still got a lot of new signings who are still gelling in the team. I don't think they're quite at the level they were, but that's not really surprising given the amount of players they've lost. Um, but certainly you wouldn't want to drop too many points in games against teams like Luton, you know, without any disrespect to them. Their games at Liverpool need to be winning as the season goes on if they're going to stand any chance of beating Man City to the title. We'll switch tack now. Manchester United won at Fulham and this was a game that, you know, I was intrigued. I was watching because I, I really thought that Man United would struggle to get the win here, to be honest with them. And then I saw the Fulham team and did see that I wasn't keen on the, the defence in particular. Calvin Bassett centre-back wasn't a... Um, wasn't a good choice, but obviously I know they've got lots of injuries. Didn't even have a centre back on the bench, and the pressure is eased though, Tom, isn't it, on Eric Ten Hag? Because you know it it felt like the 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 drain was circling on Manchester United, and this win just gives them an ever so slight bit of breathing space and lifts that pressure cooker ever so slightly on him. Um, yeah, a little bit, I'd say. So um, I do want to, you know, defend Calvin Bassey here as well. I thought he uh, actually gave a pretty good account on himself. I thought Rasmus Hoyland was was pretty much nowhere to be seen for the 75 minutes he was on the pitch. Um, but to the, to the point with Ten Hag and, and the pressure, I think, um, you know, they'll, they'll be under no illusions that this is, you know, it's an important three points, but it's not the sort of result that makes, you know, all, makes everything all right again. And I think there are, Parallels with the final days of Solskjaer at Man United. There was the, uh, the win, I think it was against Atalanta in the Champions League, where, yes, they got the result. Yes, that kind of gave them a few days' grace after that. But, um, you know, there's still a lot of things wrong around the squad. There's still a lot of things that need to be fixed. Some of those you'll hope will, you know, be resolved in the likes of uh, Sandra Martinez and Luke Shaw kind of come back from injury, which is still somewhere away. But, you know, it's. At the moment, for United, while they're not playing to their best, it's it's probably a case of you know just get the results and hope they're still in touch with where they need to be in the league by the time players come back, by the time performances start kind of catching up with the points they're getting on the board. Do you think, Darren, that Bruno Fernandes scoring was also huge? Because he, he was under a lot of criticism last weekend, wasn't he, for that performance and, and the way he's, he, he at times has acted as Manchester United captain maybe isn't befitting of the role. But do you think him getting the, the winning goal at the end, that helped even more the case because Eric Ten Hag was able to come out after the game and talk about how essentially clutch Bruno Fernandes has been for Manchester United or since he's been at the club? Yeah, it was a big moment for him. Um, you know, he he seems to be the player that always drags Man United through and gets the you know the late goal or the you know the it provides the you know defining contribution. Um, you know, his histrionics as captain, you know, the petulant throwing the arms up in the air. You know, not something necessarily I would want to see from a captain. A bit like Roy Keane said last week, but we don't really see what goes on behind closed doors. You know, Eric Ten Hag thinks he is the best man for the job. And I don't think Manchester United have too many outstanding options to be captain, but Fernandez certainly showed his leadership qualities um, against Fulham. You know, if one player was going to come up with that guy, it was him. So I don't, um, you know, I don't necessarily believe it just because he's throwing all these outbursts on the pitch. He shouldn't be the captain because Ten Hag probably knows better than anyone else. And Fernandez is his man. So. Tom, what do you make of the performance level overall from Man United? Because while they got the win, it wasn't 
you know, it wasn't a vintage performance to say the least. So do you think this was the kind of performance that you need when, you know, the chips are down and you just need to grind up, get a clean sheet and grind out uh, at three points? Um, yeah, when I looked at the um, starting lineup for the game, I was, you know, a little worried for them in, in midfield with no real kind of holding player in there. It's, you know, Tomlin was still playing further forward as he has been. Eric looked hugely isolated, I think. Um, the fact that they got a clean sheet out of that game is, you know, you've got to, you've got to look to Fulham and how, you know, how they didn't take advantage of that. There were plenty of moments where, you know, they were, they were bursting forward and there was maybe a big sort of 30, 40 yard gap in the middle of the pitch with no Man United player in it. Um, so, I mean, I, I wouldn't even look at it as kind of grinding out um, clean sheet. I guess it's maybe compare it to the Wolves game in the first week of the season where, yes, they got the 1 0 win, but there'll be other no illusions of, you know, this will not produce a no win most weeks, that kind of performance. Um, I think the bigger test will be will be Copenhagen in midweek where, you know, United are up against teams already, kind of giving them a bit of a warning sign in the in the old Trafford game and surely they can't put, they can't play like that again and get the same outcome. It's, you know, rather than, yes, it's great they ground out a, a clean sheet ground out the result, it's more kind of, okay, they got away with one how can they make sure that they're not kind of looking to the other team to give, do them a bit of a favour and not take chances? And last point on Man United, um, it looked like Harry Maguire, Darren, was playing with a bit of a concussion. You know, he took a blow to the head at, sort of in the first half and then there was a couple of times in the game they kind of examined him and, it, and he didn't look in a good way, but still, you know, stayed on the pitch. To me, it felt like there should have been an interaction or an interception from above to be like, no, he has to come off the field because he just didn't look right. And I think as a fan, I felt uncomfortable watching him on the pitch when I sort of thought he, I don't know if he should be on there because he could cause more damage. Every time he was going to try and head the ball, I was wincing a little bit at the thought that, you know, he's going to be causing himself more trouble. Were you surprised that he stayed on the pitch? Um, I'm not sure necessarily whether I was surprised or not. I mean, this is an issue that seems to keep coming up in Premier League matches um, and in football matches in general. Um, you know, obviously the Manchester United doctors reviewed him and, you know, felt that he was fine to continue on several occasions. But I think this is something the Premier League really needs to address because at some point, and I hope it doesn't happen, but at some point you get the sense that something bad is going to happen and that is when they're going to implement a rule change. I'd rather see something come in sooner. And, you know, maybe Maguire could have gone off and come back on. Um, but, you know, that option isn't available at the moment. But, um, yeah, I mean, you know, certainly the United doctors thought he was okay to continue. So um, on this occasion, I guess, you know, you've got to kind of take their expertise. But as you say, it was a little bit uncomfortable viewing. Okay, we'll switch now to Manchester City, Tom. It was a, a standard, I suppose. I think most people before the game, if they were doing their Super Sixes, probably had a, a thump in Manchester City win, and that, that's what we got in the end, 6-1. Um, Jeremy Dockley, though, he, he's the guy who stole all the headlines. What did you make of his performance? Um, yeah, I remember watching uh, watching at Euro 2020 and thinking, okay, yeah, whoever... Yeah, he's probably going to get a move to a big Champions League club at some point, and whoever does that is, you know, is on to a winner with him. I was a little surprised he, uh, you know, he had to wait until this summer to get the City move or to get a Premier League move. It's all these fantastic on 
on the weekend against Bournemouth, you know, is the kind of player who offers something different, I guess, to what City have going forward, a bit of bit of trickery, a bit of one-on-one play that I guess you don't see that much with, with Pep Guardiola teams a lot of the time. It's more kind of patient build-up. It's more kind of, you know, long, drawn-out sieges on the opposition attack, for, you know, to grind them down and, and get the win that way. But just to have that, that 1v1, especially with, um, you know, Jack Grealish hasn't been available so much this season to have someone else who can do that. It's, you know, it's just made such a huge difference on Saturday. Do you think Darren, you know, one, are we looking at City's sort of new star man? You know, I had Kevin De Bruyne as out at the minute. Is Doku, I know they're playing obviously different positions, but is Doku going to take that mantle in and kick on? But also, what does it mean for Jack Grealish, who has had a, a stop start to the season? You know, he's not been 100% fit at the weekend on the bench, didn't get on. And Doku, you know, could he be, I don't know, almost taking his position? Should Jack Grealish be worried or am I just, I don't know, playing up too much to the, the punditry there? Well, I mean... In terms of being City star man, they've obviously got so many. Haaland and the Bruyne, I think, are always going to be the star men as long as they're there. But, I mean, Doku looks incredible. I think Jack Greeley should probably be sitting on the bench worrying how he's going to get back in on that. But, you know, it's, it's whether he can keep it up. You know, he's, he had a fantastic game against Bournemouth, but the big games come against, you know, the other sides in the top six. Can he, you know, produce the same kind of performance? I imagine he can. And if he can, then he's going to be just as important to Manchester City as you know, the likes of Haaland and De Bruyne. Um, whether Grealish can f- find a you know another role in the Man City team, you know he's he's played in further infield when he was back at Aston Villa. I don't know if Pep Guardiola sees him that way, but um, as far as he's concerned, at the minute he's got a you know a tough route ahead of him to get back in the in the side. But one thing I'll say about Man City is that you know you talk about the champions, you know particularly the way they you know they went to win the league, won the treble how they would then kick on from there. Bringing in players like Doku is only going to take their level up again, particularly after losing Mares. So, you know, when you look at the the rest of the teams in the division, have they bought as well as Man City? Based on looking at Doku, he could be the signing of the summer. Okay, we'll switch now. Sheffield Giant. We did tease the the Sheffield Giant game earlier and the, the VR decision but we'll start Tom with just Sheffield United uh, and, and forget about the the controversy around the goal that was a huge victory for them I was worried for them to be honest I, I sort of was concerned that the longer they went without winning a game of football and we were already in November and that was the first win of the season the longer that goes on the the more weight and pressure there is on that team and I was concerned we were potentially looking at a, a Derby County or a Sutherland, unfortunately, a Sutherland team that's got under 20 points twice. But I thought we were looking at that kind of team, a team that could end up in the teens. We still could, you know, it's just one victory. But it feels like that was a, a massive, massive win for Sheffield United just to, to get the monkey off their back. Yeah, I think so. I mean, um, I feel like the first few weeks of the season, they were, you know, they put in some some more performances. I do think the, the manner of the Spurs defeat really set them back a little bit. Um, so yeah, obviously, last time they're in the Premier League, their second season, they uh, they had a long run to start the season without getting a win on the board and couldn't recover from that. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's about building on it, and you know, they've, to, to win in those circumstances, I don't think that's going to matter to them. It's just a win is a win, and uh, 
Stecker had really want a bit of momentum. You know, I don't think it will take that many points to stay up this season. I think we could see a team, you know, squeak 17th on 30 points or something around those, something around that mark. So there is all to play for for him, especially, you know, staying in touch, just kind of keep themselves within a win of, of safety and, you know, winning in those circumstances as well. He's going to, it's going to give a bit of a boost to kind of the mentality of what's it, 10th minute of stoppage time. That's, you know, you'll take that every day of the week. Hey, Darren, what did we make of the the, the penalty decision? Um, and it, we've got to go the week back as well because they obviously they had that controversial one against Newcastle as well, didn't they? Which probably wasn't a penalty, seemed very harsh. And I think the one this weekend was even harsher. I mean, when I saw that replay back on Match of the Day, I just couldn't believe that VR that that to me is a clear and obvious error because he pulls out of it. I don't think he connects with him. I, I, it didn't look like he made a clean collection with the player in the hundredth minute of the game. I just thought it was a a scandalous decision. And I, I, Gary O'Neill, I, I don't even know what how I would have reacted if I was him. I would have been incandescent on the touchline and in the, the interview room. I just thought it was a, a shocking decision that ultimately Wolves are a team towards the bottom of the league as well. I mean, this could be the result if Sheffield United finish a point above them that could cost them at the end of the season. I just thought it was a scandalous decision, but that's just me. What do you think? Maybe maybe I'm being a bit too um, over the top there. No, I agree. Never a penalty in a million years. Um, I think the Sheffield United player was already on the way down before um, the Wolves, I think uh, the Wolves striker um, has even swung a boot at it. So I don't, I don't really know why it was given. The refs obviously thought that contact was made and he's gone down. And I don't know whether VAR can step in in those circumstances, but it was definitely, uh, it definitely shouldn't have been a penalty. And if I was Wolves and Gary, I would feel very aggrieved as you say that could prove costly further down the line. That's the in my head the third one for them this season because you've also got that Man United one at the start of the season as well where Onana came out and flattened that player coming for a corner. It just feels to me though that if you're Wolves, you would be I don't know, like not even getting like an apology from the PGMOL. Like somebody just it feels like they're all a free one. It just every time it seems to be Wolves that are getting these dodgy decisions against them, and you know for a manager like. Gary O'Neill as well, who is trying to establish himself in the Premier League and Wolves, who I think most are expecting to be sort of bottom in bottom six, seven in the league this season. It just feels like they're getting a kick in the teeth every week. I just, I just couldn't believe that decision at the weekend. Uh, Tom, what did you make of it? Uh, yeah, I think, I think you're right. That, you know, it's not a penalty for me. It's, it feels like the sort of thing where I understand the rest given it in real time, but surely that's what VAR is for you know, it is therefore to kind of let him see it from another angle, let him see what's gone on and, you know, and allow him to change his mind. Um, I guess to the point on Gary O'Neill, yes, they've, they've been hard done by on more than one occasion, but if we're talking about Mikel Arteta going over the top with his comments, um, if we're talking about the, the mental health of referees, if we're talking about kind of elements like that, um, I don't think where a manager is in the league table should uh, should change how we interpret what they say in the aftermath of a game. Um, I think if we're if we're going to criticise Arteta for lashing out the refs for decisions he feels have gone against him, I think we've got to hold Gary O'Neill to the same standards. Even if you know, in this case, it certainly feels like just the wrong call was made. 
Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? Because I suppose I have more sympathy with Gary O'Neill on this one compared to Mikel Arteta. Because I think Mikel Arteta, I can look at and go, well, I understand you feel harsh, hardly done by, harshly done by. But I think Gary O'Neill, I don't even think this is subjective, is it? Like it's, it's clear that this wasn't a penalty. But anyway, last on the, the agenda this week, Darren Burnley lost at home again. I'm perplexed at how poor they've been this season. Because I think normally when a team from the championship does so well and get over 100 points, generally they come up with the Premier League and do, you know, okay and finish sort of mid-table. I, I think back to Wolves, you know, they they did that. They When they first came up, they finished, I think, with 100-ish points and had a really good first year. Redden, Donkeys years ago, they did it as well. Sunderland did it in the late 90s. Normally, though, when a team gets that level of points, they come up and they acclimatise quite well. But Burnley just... I don't know. They just don't look good enough. The feel it feels naive, tactically naive. Um, should we be concerned about Burnley and even concerned a little bit for Vincent Company and in, in maybe his position there? Well, I mean, you, you, we tend to see this sometimes with teams that come up from the Championship who play like a free flowing passing game that actually they struggle more so than the teams that come up and just kind of do some backs to the wall defending. And maybe that's where Vincent company might need to be a bit cuter and try and, you know, make his team more solid and harder to break down. But I think that would kind of be abandoning his principles really. Um, I don't think he will be overly concerned. I mean, I think he's got a fair bit of credit in the bank after last season, but you're right. Their run of form and their results really is starting to look a bit concerning. Um, you know, they dominated, dominated the game on Saturday. Roy Hodgson even said after the game, if they play like that, you know, for the rest of the season, then they'll be okay. But that's going to be a little consolation to company because it's games like that, home to Palace, no disrespect to them. But when you're dominating games at home to Palace, you need to be getting something out of the game. And to lose 2-0, and I know that, you know, the second goal was late on when they were pushing for an equaliser, but the way Palace cut them open was pretty easy, really. So I think company will need to tweak a few things if they're going to start picking up results going forward. Tom, I'm going to put you on the spot with this one, but we've talked about the three newly promoted teams. Which one do you think is best equipped to survive this season after what we've seen sort of 11 games into the campaign? Uh, I mean, this is going to sound like a a bit of a cop-out answer, but I can't see any of them surviving based on what we've seen in the the first 11 weeks. Um, I know uh, Bournemouth down there with them as well, but I feel... They've shown a bit more in terms of, uh, you know, joined up play and ability to maybe get some results further down the line. Um, I think Bob will pick up, you know, once the new signs have had time to bed in, once Antonio Oda's had time to, to work with the squad, assuming he gets time to do that. And I think, um, yeah, just going back, going back to Darren's point on uh, on Burnley, I think there are probably parallels with, uh, with when Norwich came up after being so dominant in the championship and, as soon as you try to do the same thing against stronger defences, more physical teams, tougher opponents, then you have to kind of maybe bite the bullet at some point and realise, yeah, you know, we need a plan B. We need a to maybe be a bit more conservative to begin games. And I guess if Burnley can figure that out, if they can drum that into the squad, and they've they, you know they've made some plenty of additions too they've got some signs to bed in then maybe they're the best place but I, that, as it stands I can't see any of the three stand up What about you Darren do you see any of them st- which one would you pick as the the most likely to survive from the end of the season 
Um, it's a tough one. I think all three of them are definitely going to be down there scrapping for their lives till the end. I thought the way Luton defended yesterday gave them a bit of promise. And I think that their fan base <clears throat> are very loyal. I think they'll back them to the end of the season, you know, no matter what happens. So I think that could play in their favour. I think, you know, Sheffield United have got a more favourable run. I know they're playing Brighton away next, but they're not the team that perhaps they were last season. And then they've got Bournemouth at home and then they play Burnley. If they can pick up some points there, they might get a bit more confidence. Um, it's funny sometimes that, you know, they had that big 8-0 defeat. Sometimes that can work either way. If, you know, if they stick together, they might be able to use that and kind of siege mentality and work their way out of it. But certainly it's going to be a scrap to the end. Perfect. Okay, well, we're out of time now. Tom, thanks for joining us this morning. Darren, thanks for joining as well. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will catch you next time.